Discussing Band of the Hand and 315 A Moment of Truth, Two Flicks with Kids Fighting Crime. I'm your host, Michael, and the other side's my co-host, Kersey. Hey, what's going on? Uh, I'm just I'm kind of glad we got to step out of the the horror sci-fi genre, which we typically do on this show. This one is more, I don't want to say like grindhouse action kind of style, but with a little more polish to it. Uh, definitely. I mean, Band of the Hand, that's Michael Mann, isn't it? It is, but it, it, there's some parts of it that feel like... Um, have you ever seen Death Wish 3? Uh, no, not the third one. Okay. Um, there's a comic book quality to the third one, and when I think about the flip side, if you were to take those criminals and flip them over and they were the heroes, that's kind of what the Band of the Hand feels like to me. Hmm. Yeah, it is an interesting movie because... Uh, it never really does anything to make these characters redeemable until like the, an hour into the movie. Oh yeah, you have to wait a while for their redemption. And um, yeah, so this is I think right after Michael Mann had a successful first season with Miami Vice, but he was too busy to direct it. Plus, I think he got burned a little bit because Manhunter was so critically well received, but it was also a huge flop. So I think he probably was smart enough to step back and let someone else take over. Oddly enough. Paul Michael Glazer, the co-star of Starsky and Hutch, directed this one. Interesting. Yeah, and then the next year, because of Band of the Hand, he got hired to direct The Running Man, which is truly a great trashy film. You know, it, it does have a sort of, I mean, this movie does really have a, almost a TV quality to it. It does. It's not big budget. It has an excellent score. It has that, um, you know the movie Drive with Ryan Gosling, it has that kind of atmosphere going for it. Mm, I'd like the maybe the when they get back to the city, definitely. But yeah, yeah, I don't well, know about the jungles. Though. That's true. I forgot this movie's kind of split into two different pieces. So basically, if you've never seen Band of the Hand, um, it's really easy to find now on Blu-ray. I got it for like seven bucks on Amazon. It was lost for many years. Uh, the studio had no interest in ever putting it out on DVD, and so it was just languishing on VHS forever. Which I had a copy for many, many years, and. Uh, Basically, it's um, a script by Michael Mann, produced by him, so it has a little bit of the Miami Vice feel to it. It's, it's set in Miami, and it's about five kids who are brought together. Uh, they're basically on the verge of being tried as, as adults for various crimes, and they're given a one last chance deal to go out into the middle of nowhere with a survivalist. Actually, was he a retired cop? What exactly was he? He was retired like military, wasn't he? I've seen this movie so many times, and yet for some reason I can never remember what it is exactly he does. But if he's not retired, he's on the outskirts of whatever law enforcement does. So he's put in a special program, um, and he basically teaches these kids how to survive in the wild um, as a team instead of just constantly fighting with each other. It does take a while to get to that point. Now, the B story in all of this is that James Remar is paying a, a drug lord who has basically taken over this section of Miami... And everything comes to a head, and it turns to this really excellent showdown. Mm-hmm. We've got young Lawrence Fishburne as one of his uh, right-hand man. Yeah, that was a, that was kind of a surprise for me to see that. I did not expect him to be in this movie. Yeah, it's right before he kind of broke out. Uh, you know, he was doing just genre fair. He was uh, Cowboy Curtis on P.B. Herman's uh, TV show. He was in Nightmare on Elm Street 3. But it would be about, I think, four years later when Boys in the Hood came out is when he became a name. Mm-hmm. I think... I, I yeah, he's a, he's a, 
Oh, yeah, I was going to say, he doesn't really have a, a, a meaty role in the movie, though. He's just kind of, like, generic bad guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, this is before he could command a good role. Yeah. But I do think James Remar is an excellent villain in this. He's never really been bad in a movie. He always seems to show up and just do his thing. Yeah, his uh, style was very interesting. I mean, I mean, uh, it's very ooh, El Mariachi uh, style of Buko. You know, just kind of the very soft-spoken uh, villain character. You know what's funny is that he took this role after he was fired from Aliens. He was on like the first week, and then he got busted for cocaine. Sorry, for cocaine use in England, and got fired off the film. And then that's how you end up getting him at the last minute to play the villain in this movie. Huh? Interesting. Yeah, Michael Bean would probably nowhere be, you know, where he was at in the late, you know, late eighties, early nineties, if it hadn't been for James Remar fucking up. <laughs> I think it's funny. I think both of these movies, it's kind of funny how all the high schoolers, they look like they're clearly in their late 20s. Yes, God. Especially the next movie we're going to talk about, they look like they're 40. Yeah. We'll get to that. <laughs> the, uh, no real big names came out of Band of the Hand, except for Stephen Lang, who years later, of course, would become a thing because of Avatar, and uh, he was in Tombstone. Uh, Leon was in Cliffhanger and Cool Runnings, but that's about it. Um,. It's it's one of those movies where it just feels like for some reason... Oh, I forgot Lauren Hawley. Uh, she was in Dumb and Dumber, um, and she was on TV for a while. But it feels like one of those movies in the 80s where it's it's pretty good, but nobody really stands out because nobody truly gets a meaty role. It's just very adequate. Yeah, well, I I think it does go beyond adequate in some, in some places. I mean, there are a lot of... Uh, actors that I have seen in the movie that I've seen in other ones before and probably other ones that you've reviewed that have never really stood out or, or like given chance to really spread their acting wings, whatever you want to say. Yeah. Uh, but I was, I was actually surprised by the near the end of the movie. I really cared about some of the characters. Yeah. Um, I think the fact that they take a little bit of uh, eccentricity to the whole thing. I mean, the whole idea of them surviving out in the swamp is a bizarre idea. They make um, Stephen Lang's character, I think he's supposed to be Native American, but though I'm pretty sure he's not Native American at all. And if that were to happen now, people would lose their fucking minds. <laughs> yeah, I did not get a Native American vibe off of him. No. Uh, there, there's a John Cameron Mitchell, who later became a director. He directed uh, Hedwig and the Angry Inch and a couple other movies. Uh, he plays probably my favorite character. He's the one that with the crazy hair and he ended up burning down. No, no, no. He ended up shooting um, I think his parents because they were fighting all the time. Mm. He doesn't uh, say he doesn't say anything one. for a good long chunk of the movie, and then all of a sudden just like blurts yes. out like "Stop fighting, everybody!" Yeah, he he was kind of the uh, was he the one that's like a smaller smaller dude? Thing? Yeah, yeah, he was the uh, definitely the smaller of the group. The only one that looked like he yeah. possibly was in high school. <laughs> yeah, I remember him. I don't. I I actually don't remember him. That's the funny part until you mentioned it. Oh, huh. Um, the one big surprise, and this is a spoiler, is that three-quarters of the way through, they kill off your main star. And now the kids have to basically survive on their own. And, you know, they decide to put together this mission instead of going on the run to get revenge and take down the drug lord. And I thought it was a pretty cool battle, especially on what seems like a very limited budget. Um, and, you know, no big names to, you know, 
to uh, what, what I want to say here. There's usually a lot of money put into action sequences based on who's in it, and there's no names in this, so it's kind of surprised they put so much effort into that final sequence. It's kind of surprising they put as much effort as they did in general, because the idea is inherently silly, but they they took it extremely seriously. No, oh, yeah, and especially you know, like we said, it's kind of broken up into two bits. The first hour is about them sort of bonding and uh, you know learning their skills in the um, in the swamp the swamplands, and that's a very slow, very dramatic, uh, very long. Yeah, uh, compared to the last half. But you know, taking as much time as they did to really give you that feeling that so much time has passed, and uh, it really it really works for the last half of the movie. It, it becomes just really interesting. Yeah, that is uh, definitely uh, kind of like uh, you know you're looking around for these movies that were basically lost and disappeared for a while. This is one you want to search out. It's kind of a gem, I think. Yeah, definitely. It was a high, a high recommendation for me. I think it helps because Michael Mann is one of those guys who takes, I mean, essentially some of his movies are silly ideas um, and, and somehow just makes it work. I mean, Miami Vice seems like such a ridiculous idea and especially the way they, you know, to put it out there as MTV cops. But if you've ever seen the show, it's a, it's great. Yeah. So I highly recommend this one and, um, the second one, I guess we should probably get into. Yeah, 315, A Moment of Truth. Uh, that is one from the co-writer of 48 Hours, Streets of Fire, and The Warriors, Larry Gross. Uh, oddly enough, didn't get a writer's credit on this. He didn't write enough of it to you know, get full credit. Uh, so he's the director on this one. This is one of those another incredibly lost movies. The fact that we found a print so well on YouTube is because someone had recorded it off of cable a few years ago. Uh, the company sat on it for two years, and it went straight to video. I actually think it's a really fun flick. It's basically high noon in high school. <laughs> That's a pretty apt description, yeah. Yeah, and basically we have Adam Baldwin, who everybody knows from Chuck and Firefly. This is when he was younger, and he still is a bit of a name because of my bodyguard. And uh, he's a former gang member. And he decides because of one over just the one of these incidents that gets out of control and someone gets killed, he's done. He's out of the gang. And then you fast forward a little bit and he's changed his life. He's become a better student, uh, changed uh, his relationships to positive ones, and is now like, uh, you know, a really good athlete. And it comes to a head with his old gang when a drug deal goes wrong. And for some reason, this is the part that I never really understood why it is that the main villain makes up this whole lie about, oh, he ratted me out to the cops, he set me up for this, I'm going to get revenge on him and kill him. Is it purely because of the incident at the very beginning of the movie for backing out of the gang? Is that it? Is that all that was to it? Well, there's more than a few things that are kind of confused that don't really make sense, but um, the, I, I think he was just pissed that he wouldn't help him out, you know? But that's, a, but that's the other thing that doesn't make sense because... He was only in jail for like two days. I know, right? No big deal. They weren't. They weren't going to prosecute him. See, I, that's the one thing. Yeah, Smiley. That's right. His name. Um, the motivations don't exactly make sense, and it's it, this is more of an exploitation flick than Band of the Hand. This feels like that school where they made um, uh, what do we call it? A class of 1984. It feels like that yes. kind of vibe. Like it's almost um, surreal. It's like one step beyond our reality where these gangs are getting together. I mean, it, it, it's strange. It's like a moment when the guys are just doing kung fu out in the the quad. And, uh, you know, everybody's linked up in their own. I mean, I was in high school. I don't remember 
gangs like that at all. <laughs> so it's yeah, almost it cartoonish. Was, it was yeah, it was like, what, three different gangs that owned the school or whatever? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a little ridiculous. But, you know, you can, you can accept it for the sake of the movie because it's not necessarily about that. It's just more about the character and sort of the redemption story. Yeah, um, I really like... Uh, there's a sequence in there where his friends are acting really tough. Like, they're going to back him up. But the reality sets in that they're actually out for blood and that they're going to kill um, your main character. And they get scared and they don't want to help him anymore, which is a, a more realistic response instead of this noble, hey, we're going to team up to take out the bad guys kind of bullshit. Yeah, and I like that that happened on both sides, where he was relying on his athletic friend who i guess they were playing football together because uh-huh. he was always the one that was like oh why don't we just kick their asses now huh get it over with and then he's the one that backed out in the end yeah and then on the on the other hand on the other side um they were afraid of him too so it was i really like that detail um this is a movie where they look the oldest i mean there's one guy in band of the hand who was actually playing a cop on miami vice the season before and then you're trying to believe that he's a high school student when he has like a full beard, easily full beard and wrinkles. Um, at least it was only one guy. I would say 75% of the cast of 315, um, clearly they're old enough to have their own children in, in school by then. <laughs> there was one scene in particular where the driving ed teacher was trying to talk down the main character because he was beating up one of those guys for touching his girl uh-huh. kind of scene where he's, like, going too far with it. And I thought he was a student because everyone else looks the same age. Like, <laughs> there's no way. There's no way it's, that that's a student. And I, I had to, like, I had to go back. I was like, oh, okay, he's the teacher. But he was, it was so similar to everyone else in age that I could barely tell the difference. Wow. A uh, few names in this one uh, before they became really big. Uh, Mario Van Peebles, uh, Gina Gershon, and... Uh, uh, dang it, there was someone else in here that was... They end up becoming a name later. Eh, well, shit. I have a bad memory. But, um, it, like I said, it's very hard to find. You're not going to find a, a clean you know, Blu-ray version of this. You can only find it on YouTube. It's the best quality I can, I, I can find out there. Um, it, it, it's fun. It's not uh, one of those doll drag them out, wait for the final action sequence. I think it's... Uh, it, it, it's all... The way it's designed is very similar to the way Class of 1984 was. You know, in a way they would constantly build up and antagonize each other until the big blowout at the end. Mm-hmm. Though the Class of 1984 that was, that was much was more an, horror. Yes. That's another thing. So uh, basically the, the plot of the movie goes that, um, you know, drug deal goes wrong. Uh, the leader of the old gang, the Cobras, uh, goes up to the main character who quit and tried to get him to hide some of his drugs for him. Um, but he refused, and that's what got him caught. And so that's why the guy went to jail for a couple days, came out like, I'm going to kill that guy now. Um, and so there's this big showdown at school. The thing that I don't know, and I guess this isn't really important, but why was the school blocked off and barricaded from the outside, but there was no police and no one stopped him from going inside? Yeah, I know I was thinking about that too, and it seems like kind of like those weird uh... – I'm going to hypothesize that in this world that they've created, the gangs basically rule everything. Even the cops are kind of afraid of them. And they think it's best just to wait outside and let it work its way out before it gets worse. Like if they take it out on each other, they won't take it out on anybody else. 
that's the only reason I can think because I was wondering that too at the very end of the movie. It's just like Cerebro so was just listening outside. That okay? That's weird. Yeah, but I mean that does. But even that doesn't make sense because in the beginning of the movie they were. Like, well, maybe not so much at the beginning, but near the beginning, the principal is working with the police making that is a true. drug bust. So clearly, they're not afraid of them. Yeah. But now, well, the, the principal, know. I think, was. I think he was a chicken shit, and that's why you kind of get at the end when he, yeah. you know, he punches about. We're like, yeah, he deserved that. Yeah, it's it's <clears throat> it more plays on like a western. It's very similar to another movie that came out a year later. Uh, called The Principal with Lou Gossett Jr. and Jim Belushi where uh, he takes over a crime-filled school as the new principal and decides to clean it up. And then it turns into the showdown at the end between this gang and uh, 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 Jim Belushi. Um, very similar in how it's even uh, the action sequences are set up. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it is also interesting that this style of movie is becoming more popular again. You know, the old gunslinger that was kind of uh, when around Unforgiven, which was what, 92? Yeah. When the the idea of the gunslinger retiring, uh, kind of drawing a close to that era of uh, myth or hero, uh, that's kind of starting to come back again. I think uh, just superhero fatigue is kind of kicked in, so people are uh kind of attracted to that idea again. Yeah, so I mean... Movies yeah. like, Log- like, like Logan, which right. is kind of the same idea, and... Um, like the new God of War game is very is the same idea, the, you know the hero retiring kind of thing. The um, the only one that I can't stand though is the assassin on one last hit. That is a tired ass genre. <laughs> yes, I think Nick Cage killed that with the remake of Bangkok Dangerous. <laughs> oh my god, um, that was. Oh. Nicholas Cage. I love Nicholas Cage, but I've been watching the trailers for his stuff lately, and I'm like, out of the six movies that are coming out this year, no joke, he has six movies coming out this year, at least that's planned. Mom and Dad is the only one that really has something interesting to say. The rest of them just look like, hey, we got $2 million to spend on an actor. What's the budget? Three. So you're going to spend, okay, 60% of the budget's going to be on one actor. Who are we going to get? Nicholas Cage will do anything. Okay. <laughs> they look like washed out, boring, just bullshit. He's the only name in him. Yeah, it's just, you know, like they're printing these scripts out of a fucking printing press. Just It's, it's terrible. Um, but I have to agree, I actually do want to see Mom and Dad. Yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, the idea of parents trying to kill their kids, I mean, I'm totally... I'm all in. He really should have stepped back by now and become a supporting actor. That would have kept him at least in studio films, but I don't know if his debt is that bad or what it is, but it's getting like, dude, you are embarrassing yourself. You and John Cusack are in a contest to who can do the worst damage to their career as fast as possible. He, I mean, he, his ego is too much to let another actor take the light for a minute. Yeah, maybe. I don't know what it is. But that's the pretty cool thing about the two films that we watched um, is that it really shares the screen. Of course, there's no real big name, so nobody can really demand that. But I think the directors of both films did a good job of uh, balancing out everybody's story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I think the Band of the Hand is definitely, if, if you were, if you just want to watch one of these, Band of the Hand yeah. definitely. Well, uh, is the top quality. Oh yeah, definitely uh, I mean, better. Uh, Good. Yeah, but I, uh, what I was saying is that three fifteen own truth. I mean, that's that's a great watch. I mean, it's it's silly, but um, it, it it's it's just it's just a good old time. It's fun. Yeah, I like it. You know, um, I was just thinking. Definitely banding. Uh, 
315, like I said, is basically high noon in high school. But if you look at it, in a way, uh, Band of the Hand is basically Magnificent Seven. You're building your team to take on incredible odds. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, they're not mercenaries, but that basic model of getting a group together to take on um, something that will probably get them all killed. And, uh, and I'll say this also, Band of the Hand has excellent music. I really like... Uh, the score and uh, the the songs that they choose to throw in the film. This is in the 80s when it seemed like it was much easier to get really cool original songs thrown in. Mm. Yeah, I mean, like, look at... Uh, oh, wait, no, that was 90s. I was going to say, what, didn't Alice Cooper do a, um, a song for uh, that on Elm Street? Yeah, he did... Uh, well, no, 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 it was the 80s. He did the song for Jason 6, uh, Jason Lives. He's man. He's back. The man in the mask. Oh god. <laughs> that, that was. Are you sure that was? Oh, yeah, because the, the series started in seventy eight. So uh, first, the first Jason movie is nineteen eighty, uh, and then there's one like every other year for a while. Sometimes every single year there'd be one. But uh, yeah, it was eighty six. They're trying to do a big comeback because they had killed him off, and then they screwed up with part five, which I still think is okay. Uh, and then part six is like, we got to go big. So they spent more money, they changed the look of it, and then that's where they spent some money giving Alice Cooper uh, a comeback song. Mm-hmm. And it paid off, because that's probably the best one. Yeah. Well, you know, no, no, Alice Cooper doesn't sing a song for but he is in the last, or the Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. Yeah, I think that's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, because he plays his dad. And then, you know who sings the song for The Final Nightmare? No one ever remembers this. Yeah, I, oh, you said it a while ago. I can't remember. The Goo Goo Dolls. Of all people, the Goo Goo Dolls. <laughs> so what were we talking about? How did we get here? I have no idea. We're talking about move, uh, music in the 80s. Um, it's probably time to wrap this up. It's, we're at 22 minutes. <laughs> um, uh, I see, Yeah, de- go find both. Both licks and... Uh, um, if you want to check out any more episodes from us, we are on Video Night Podcast on Facebook. And Say goodbye. Say goodbye. Nothing? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, see you later, buddy. I'm, I got caught off guard. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Be excellent to each other. Watch some trashy movies.